0: And welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. I want to let you know that my website is now available. It's up and running where you can find uh, all of the podcasts as well as the medium articles and a YouTube video blog as well as merchandise that will be coming soon on this website. The website is called narctroopers.com. That's N A R C Troopers T R O O P E R S narctroopers dot com. Check it out. Today's topic is wounding and the resulting cold fury that follows the wounding of a narcissist. Covert narcissists do not rant and rage uh, like other. Types like overt types of narcissists and people like that. Their contempt hides behind a very ice-cold smirk and a very cold dagger, a dagger they plunge like ice into your heart. And not all narcissists are created equal. Everyone possesses narcissistic qualities to some degree, but when narcissism becomes pathological and life-altering, Self destructive and destructive to all of those around, then it can be diagnosed as a cluster B personality disorder on the DSM 5 mental health chart. Uh, Within that diagnosis, there are several types and subcategories of narcissism, as well as uh, a difference of severity that you could have it somewhere on the spectrum. You could have narcissism light or malignant narcissism. There's a wide range that goes in there. So narcissistic personality disorder, also known as NPD, is a personality disorder characterized. It's a long-term pattern of exaggerated feelings of self-importance, an excessive need for admiration, and worst of all, a complete lack of empathy towards other people, a lack of remorse or guilt, a lack of a moral compass, if you will. So the main types of narcissists are the grandiose or overt narcissists. They seek control and make no effort to hide their massive egos. Often verbally and or physically abusive, they are prone to rage and anger when they are provoked. Their sense of entitlement and lack of remorse and compassion make them very easy to spot. The second kind is your vulnerable, fragile, covert narcissist, and they're referred by all three of those names, vulnerable, fragile, and covert. They are gifted at wearing their mask, mirroring others, uh, faking it to get what they want. They're chameleons. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, They present a false self, which is extremely manipulative, self-serving, and um, ruthless. And they do this to get what they want, like power, status, fame, money, things like that. Um, This is where the bulk of my experience with narcissism lies, with the covert. Now, there are two main categories underneath the uh, two that I just mentioned, and these subcategories have to do with they're either somatic or cerebral. The somatic narcissist possesses a concentrated focus on their physical appearance and sexual skills. They get their fuel, also na- known as supply, from the positive reactions of others to their appearance or sexual prowess. They're often promiscuous and have many partners. I like to call what my Uh, ex-husband has now as his harem. Um, He has a harem. Uh, A cerebral narcissist possesses a belief that they have superior intellect, which exceeds that of regular people. They're smarter than everyone they know. They seem to have a whole wide range of knowledge and over a variety of topics. And they can elaborate stories, tell stories all the time both true and false, uh, real and fiction, to showcase their expansive wisdom. The next thing to try to wrap our heads around is called narcissistic injury, uh, or also known as the wounding or narcissistic wound. This leads to a dysregulation of behaviors, such as narcissistic rage, which happens on a spectrum from expressions of mild aggravation to serious outbursts, including violent attacks and even murder. Um, and it varies depending on which type of narcissist that you have. The grandiose narcissist more often will have the outbursts and the violent attacks, whereas your covert, vulnerable narcissist may have more of a passive-aggressive type of suppressed uh upset uh, that you don't really see it can occur in in response to a number of things such as perceived or real criticism demand for accountability or an apology or um i know i asked my husband many times you know why are you not responding to this thing you're you're such a uh unemotional it's like you're just a flat line there's nothing happening here and you should be upset or you should be afraid or you should be feeling something and you're not you're just acting like nothing happens it's just weird and when I would confront him with that it was never a good response I guarantee you Uh, I, I never got an explanation I don't think he understood what he you can't know what you're not experiencing if you've never experienced it, you don't know what what you're missing, sort of, I guess, is the best way to explain that. So other things that can cause narcissistic injury would be any kind of boundary or restriction that you try to place on them. Um, or when someone doesn't really accommodate their never-ending desire for admiration and attention, things like this. So in the context of the three stages of narcissistic abuse which is the idealization stage which is the first one uh, devaluation which is the second stage and the discard which is the final and last stage the wounding sometimes comes becomes the catalyst for the uh, beginning of the devaluation period so let's talk about Covert, vulnerable narcissists, which is the area that I know um, most about, and something called cold fury. How do you think covert narcissists perceive their place in the world around them? It explains their negative reaction when things don't go their way. First of all, they possess what can be called as magical thinking, Uh, where they believe that they are impervious to the consequences of their actions. My, my narcissist believed that through setting intentions, doing some meditation and maybe some, some kinds of spells or something that he could manifest pretty much anything, including large amounts of money. Um, There were a lot of examples of this irrational, magical thinking that made him special one uh, once he said that he was an ascended master, and I replied like Jesus, like that kind of ascended master, like Buddha. You're you're one of them, one of those guys. Um, didn't get a clarification on that either. But um, anyway, this magical thinking um, also allows them to take risks. Uh, unreasonable, irrational risk, and they expect miracles to happen because of this uh, special thinking that they have going on. Let's keep in mind their amygdala does not function in the same way as a normal person, and let's keep in mind that they've done scientific studies to prove that there are brain uh, deficiencies, physiological explanations for why they are lacking empathy and remorse and the capability of having those kinds of uh, feelings and morals and uh, responses to things like that. It's not that they just choose to not want to do it. Um, It's just not knowing what that is uh, that causes them to not do it. So um, imagine confronting a covert narcissist to demand an appropriate response to something that they've done that caused harm in some way to someone. Uh, Perhaps you ask for, for an apology or you put your foot down and limit their behavior in some way. Maybe you challenge their actions and attempt to set boundaries. The common denominator is that they perceive your actions as an attack or an assault upon their false self And they react with extreme venom and contempt while not showing any outward signs of distress. We're talking about the covert narcissist. The overt will be ranting and raving by this point, throwing things about having temper fits, but not the covert. You may not see any signs of outward distress, but I guarantee you that they are boiling under the surface. Towards the end of my marriage, we we w- went on vacation. In fact, we were on a three-week vacation right up until the day he left, which was the day we returned from our vacation. And um, we were in Portugal. And I remember the night before we left, we were preparing to come home. And I had been frustrated by the late nights and A questionable behavior he had engaged in while I was with my daughter, taking a mother daughter trip kind of on the side. He went off by himself during that time. And I remember sitting across the room in our little Airbnb in Lisbon and saying that these solo adventures just had to stop and future trips would need to be taken with us together as a couple to avoid the potential problems that could arise from doing things the way that we were doing them separate there for about a week. So what I witnessed in the minutes after my, my declaration there that I made, it was something I will never forget. Um, It was something I have come to know as the cold fury, his mask, his narcissistic mask dropped his face, transformed, and his beautiful uh, green eyes, they turned black and wet and shiny and glittery as if he were possessed by some kind of demon entity or something. He didn't say anything. He said nothing. He just sat there. Uh, It was just what I call the silence, the smirk, and the stare. The silence, the smirk. And the stare. It transformed him into something supernatural, inhuman, and dangerous. Um, the hate in that room at that moment was palpable and utterly chilling. I remember thinking that if looks could kill, I would be dead. I. What had happened there is that I had wounded his. Inflated, engorged ego and delicate sense of self. And in return, he was feeling cold rage, pure evil intention um, consumed by icy hot wrath and boiling hatred was just flowing through his body. A few minutes later, it had all sort of uh, faded away, and he appeared to be recovered and composed, and we proceeded to to dinner, and we walked down the street to a little restaurant and had a nice dinner like nothing had happened. I I didn't know that he would be discarding me less than 48 hours later, shortly after we got home, back to the States, um, and he would just take his already packed duffel bag, leaving everything else behind and just disappearing forever. I didn't know that when we had that last dinner in Lisbon. The cold fury is a characteristic phenomenon experienced by covert, vulnerable narcissists. Consider it the trumpet that signals Armageddon Think of it as the prelude to murder. So while the covert may never raise his hand or raise his voice to you, make no mistake, he will murder you nonetheless. And he will murder you in the most painful and profane way imaginable. The wounding is inevitable. The discard is unavoidable. You will die a thousand deaths at their hands and then in a final coup de grace, you will have no choice about what's happening. You will have to be reborn into another version of yourself because the life you had is going to perish. One, This new life is one that you don't know what it is. Um, you couldn't even imagine it or recognize it. It is the genesis of transformation that follows a ruthless annihilation. It erases your very existence along with any memories of the life you once knew. That's what happens. Are they mentally sick, demonically possessed, or merely a casualty of the war that they lost as a child? It really doesn't matter. The wounding is inevitable. The discard will happen. You will die. The life you knew with your dysregulated partner will end. And in the void that follows, you will have no choice but to be reborn. They, these narcissists, are harbingers of destruction. But we rise up from the ashes. We live on in ways they will never understand because we can love. We can feel joy and intimacy and closeness and connection. We can feel loyalty, fidelity, all kinds of things like that. Um, we can love. We are human And they will never know what that feels like. In knowing that, we must let them go and accept truth. They are the walking dead, the hollow men. And they were never who we thought they were. None of it was real. So, first things first, we have to accept What they are and what has happened. And as after we do that, we have to move to the second stage where we start to have, we have to start reimagining our life, reimagining our future, building plans for how we're going to navigate moving forward. I know that we never planned on having to do something like this. And it seems to be a formidable task. But we have no choice. We have no choice but to to do this, to create ourselves, and to find all the tools that we can gather to put in our little tool belt that will help us to be able to be brave enough and strong enough, faithful enough to get through this and make it and just remember the things that cause us the most grief and most pain are the very things that these people that we have loved and that we have tried to fix we've tried to heal them and and help them that the things that cause us the most grief are the things that they will never feel they're incapable of feeling these things so isn't it better that we can experience real, genuine, authentic emotion, even if sometimes it's just soul-crushing and horrible, it beats the alternative of going through those stages of narcissistic abuse. Think about that. Their lives, they idealize people in a very infatuated and false sense of of thinking that this person is going to be everything that that they ever hoped for but then it always always goes to the second stage of devaluation where they start picking on the person and the the person loses their shiny luster and they the infatuation and the idealization ends Because they see the person's flaws and they don't feel special. They don't feel like they're getting their fuel or their supply anymore. And then ultimately the discard. If you hang around long enough, eventually they will leave you. And when they do, it's going to be in the most cruel and horrible way possible. It's going to be suddenly and abruptly out of nowhere. You're going to be blindsided like I was. And that is going to destroy you. So all we can do is stay grounded in reality enough to know that these things that we're talking about that it's true. They can't be what we need them to be. And we have to accept that that they are limited, that they do not have the same brain physiology, they don't have the same thinking process, they don't have the same ability to feel regular human emotion like love and intimacy or any of those kinds of things. So we accept it and then we start building our future. And like I said, you know, this is a long process and everybody goes on their own time frame. It took me eight months to get through the first part where I finally accepted it. For eight months, I held on to hope. I rationalized. I was in denial. I justified. I prayed that he would just wake up and come home for eight months. You know, it could take you longer or maybe you work through it quicker, but whatever happens, you do get to the point. You have to believe me. You will get to the point where you do accept it. And after you do, then you can start building. You can be the architect of a new life, a new future. That's healthy where you are whole and everything's gonna be okay. So keep that in mind, guys. I know that none of us chose this, none of us really wanted to go through this this suffering, but they're growing pains. And maybe the narcissist just ushered in a opportunity for us to work on ourselves to be more independent and more whole and less um you know, whatever our particular issues are, we can work on them and be better. Maybe that's the whole point of all of this. It's an opportunity. I really hated to hear that for a long time, but I finally come to realize that it's that also is something to accept. Anyway, there's work to be done and hope to be had, and I wish everyone well. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye.